Well, welcome to the show. We've got a packed studio and uh, James is with me. Hi, James. How are you doing? Hi, Steve. Not too bad, thanks. Great, thanks. Good to see you. Um, yep, we've coming up on the show, we've got Marcus and John from Space Between. Welcome, guys. Nice to have you in the studio. We've also got Andrew McKenzie, and Andrew's a partner, IP firm, Cleveland Scott York, and he's going to talk a little bit about protecting your ideas and protecting your inventions. And then we've got Grace Youssef, and she's from Qubit, and we're going to talk a lot about some of the, the development work she's doing. She's got a vast range of new things coming out at the weekends and coming out over the next sort of month or so. So we're going to talk to her. But James, first, buddy, we're going to talk a little bit about news, aren't we? Yes. Uh, looking this week, we've got the, the announcement that the Samsung's S8 uh, Bixby voice, which is obviously meant to be a competitor to, to Apple with Siri. Yeah. Um, it's had a bit of a setback. There's going to be a delay. So they're, they're going to launch it and, and release ship the, f- the phone Without the English voice control, um, it's going to be like an added-on update to follow later in the spring. Okay, so how damaging do you think that is, guys? What do you think? What would you say about that? Anybody thinking of getting an essay amongst the studio guests? I could be tempted, I guess. Yeah, would you? Yeah, but the the whole idea of Bixby is it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Really, when Apple's got their own, I mean Google's got their own, and yeah, the phone's already going to come with Google's. So why invent something else? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with you. Sounds like a huge own goal not to have the English at launch. I would have thought so too, yeah. yeah. Uh, Most people Apple or do you prefer... uh, Die-hard Apple fan here. Oh, me too, yeah. Everything Apple. I'm I'm a die-hard Android fan. Really? Yeah. But Samsung is very notorious for this. They like to sort of create their own world and um, walled garden for their ecosystem. I'm not sure why they do that. No. Why would you recreate? Why not just use an add-on? So, yeah. Anyway, we're going to go straight to our first guests, James, and we've got Marcus and John from Space Between. Welcome, guys. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, Hello. great. And tell us a little bit about Space Between. Tell us what you do and what, what uh, services you provide. So Space Between's been around for about a year and a half, um, and we are a collection of developers in Ashford. Um, we've met, we met together pretty organically through networking events. Actually, we met at Code Harbor. Um, which is a Kent networking event. Um, and we decided together to set up an agency of uh, the smartest people that we could find in Kent. Um, and so we've been doing that now for a year and a half together uh, in Ashford. Right. So uh, how many of you in the team? Seven. There are seven of us at seven the moment, of us yeah. Okay, so there's seven of you in the team. Sorry, we've just getting a. There's, there seems to be a bit of a technical hitch going on. Is that right, Danny? Yeah, I've seen it's coming through upstairs. It's not coming through online. No. So okay, well we'll carry on and see what see what uh, what's actually going on there. Anyway, um, so seven in the team work on app development. Tell us a little bit about the apps uh, websites that you're actually developing and some of the apps you've done. So what sort of areas do you actually focus on, and what sort of areas do you concentrate on? So uh, we predominantly focus on building fast, responsive websites with a focus on user experience and optimizing user interface, predominantly for websites or services that are directly tied to revenue online, such as e-commerce and things like that. Because it's so important, isn't it, how people enter the website and actually that experience going through. You, You can lose people very easily, can't you? Yeah, for sure. You know... You've got to make sure that the these experiences, especially when it's, like I say, tied to the revenue, are as pain-free and as useful for the users as possible. Yeah. So we try to come in and help companies understand where the users' pain points are, optimise their flow, and you know, 
essentially take away as much of the hassle as possible for the user. Right. Yeah. So uh, give us some some of the common problems or mistakes that people make with their so their websites. One of the one of the big problems we find is the way people would use colors across their website. So for example, if you have um, a, a brand which has a, a main primary color such as red and they use that predominantly throughout the website. So it's one of those things that's a lot easier to, to uh, see visually. But if you use that same color repeatedly across the website, the customer then has no distinction between the events. Whereas if you then separate, say, two colors out and you have a red and a blue, use the red for the primary interaction. So like, for example, I want to purchase this product. I want to go to the next stage, like to check out and things like that. Then the user gets, they understand that this color is... Um, indicative I'm moving on I'm progressing through the stage and then you use the blue for all the other interactions that aren't quite as important so you see so many websites where they've they've got no color scheme or theme at all don't you James yeah uh, yeah the branding is obviously quite important isn't it you want to maintain sort of your logo and your, your company colors but obviously as you mentioned spreading it out a bit better to to yeah make it clearer as to, to what is the important parts. Exactly, yeah. So you take through. the company brand and you apply some colour theory to it and using those colours in a way that consistently makes sense across the website so the user, when they click on something, they know what they expect and they know what, you know, is their expected behaviour. So a lot of people now create their own websites, don't they? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Yusuf, if you do you create your own websites or have you done that before? Um, yes, um, yeah. I used to be a mobile uh, web developer before I moved into mobile. Okay, yeah, so but it's easy for me. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done it myself. Yeah. You know, there's so many uh, simple ones that you can follow, yeah. but they just don't give you the functionality, do they? So it's funny you said that because we actually we get a lot of clients come to us and say, you know, what, I need a website, and we go. Sometimes you don't need a website. Sometimes what you need is a Facebook page. Yeah. And the next step up to that is maybe you need a Squarespace or a Wix where the client can go in and build their own website to a certain extent. Yeah. But then once your business comes to a size where, for example, you need to tie your your revenue online into your business, yeah. that's more the space where we are, where you need that extra customization or integration with, say, third parties, you know, like Salesforce or, you know, bigger CRMs. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's that additional functionality that, that is actually sort of required of these things that's it yeah and and we see a lot now going on around auto population so you'll be in one platform or one particular area and that's taking data out and across to everything from twitter facebook or wherever else how hard is that to actually establish within you know explain a little bit around that actual activity so where you're taking data from one uh, web, web page or something else and can use it to populate elsewhere Okay, so they um, lots of these big companies, Facebook, Google, and Twitter, have exposed uh, things that developers can use to authenticate you. Right. So if you if you make us aware that you have a Google account, uh, we can then ask Google for a bit more information about you, so that when you sign into an application that we've built, we bring over uh, some of your information from your other sites, um, and that's really powerful because the users are only inputting their username and password. Um, and they can move through the applications much quicker than they could otherwise, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, James. What's the most sort of challenging project you guys have, have undertaken so far? That's a really good question. I think I think they're, they're all challenging. That's a bit of a cop-out. I suppose with technology, the, the harder bits sometimes are integrating with, with other third parties. Um, and we, 
we're really good at trying to work closely with third parties, but sometimes proprietary third party technology makes it really hard to to work with, especially if they're not, you know, it's it's in a niche vertical and they don't have that much documentation. Your um, hands are tied a bit there. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I don't think it. I don't think it would be a particular project. I just think across all projects, um, one of one of the harder aspects of a project is mm. getting to grips with proprietary yeah. in-house. I can elaborate a little bit more. So we've worked with a company called Channel Freights, that you know essentially take freight goods across the channel and yeah. that kind of thing. And we're working with like the P and O and Eurotunnel APIs. Those are wi- widely and vastly different in the quality of the documentation and the standards that they they set. So you know. That's what we find is always the sticking points is working with third party providers. And because there's no set standard between them, um, it's, you know, each implementation is entirely vast, vastly different. And sometimes you have to pour through manuals of documentation to get through. And is there a lot of to and froing between yourself and, and the client in terms of making sure that you're giving them what they want um, as the end sort of project? Yes, no doubt. So, you know, throughout the project, we have multiple touch points. We try and get on, get in touch with get in touch with a weekly basis and let them know what we're working on yep. and essentially see if they've got any feedback on the progress made so far. So that way, then you know we don't deviate from the client's expectations uh, widely. It, at the worst case, we deviate from a week and then we can always pull it back in and we work it back into the project plan. Brilliant. The other the other thing that we're doing quite a lot of is we've got teams like enterprise teams that have got their own marketing people and their own developers yep. in in house. But what they don't have is the specific expertise in conversion rate optimization or UI or UX um, or, or some of the more modern JavaScript frameworks without getting too technical, but yeah. we're particularly fond of React.js at the moment. What we find in those cases is we actually end up either on site or as like a, a remote worker in their team. So in those cases, we're speaking to them every 15 minutes yeah. um, and, and we're working really closely with them. Brilliant. So yeah, you, you UX is that user experience? Experience. Yes. So do you do that lot of that in house yourself? Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's kind of integral in what we do. So you know, we we try and where possible, we'll talk to the companies and find out you know which areas they want to convert better, and then we'll sit down with their actual users. So we'll schedule user interviews or you know questionnaires and that kind of thing to actually find out what their users are doing as they're trying to purchase these products, for example where their pain points are, and we'll come up with a solution then, yeah. test it against those same users again, and try and get the feedback. So it's a constantly a trading process that actually is uh, involving the users, and that way you get a generally better end product out of it. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, obviously adapting yeah um, to the feedback from, from the customer as you're going through the project of, of creating a website for someone, exactly. obviously doing your own in-house sort of feedback. So... Uh, putting yourself in the shoes of of the customer, I guess, at the end of it, um, how easy is it for them to actually uh, process this payment, and and how can we make that even easier and and simpler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we, we we really wherever possible, we try and get from our from our. Well, there's too many customers now in the conversation, yeah. aren't there? But yeah. from our from our clients, yes, yeah. We try we try and make sure that our clients are giving us regular feedback about how the work we're doing is affecting their revenue. Yeah, and then yeah. we we take that into account on a weekly basis, and and that's the best part of our job is a year going by and seeing a big increase. So, um, obviously, it's about navigation speed. What are the other factors that help revenue increase in terms of uh, your you know your clients measuring? How do they measure? the success of the work you do or, yeah. or how do you advise them to do that? So 
the first thing that we generally do uh, is, is get a little bit in depth, but you know, we, we try and set out a, a um, like the, the key measurements they want to they want to measure as we go forward. So we we'd go through the website and say, you know, like for example, how long does it take a user to complete this page? How many steps does it take? How long are they on the page? How many products are they looking at? Um, are they getting the right information on those products? So we'd see all these key metrics, which are then directly tied to a top-level metric such as revenue or the amount of purchases made. Once w once we're building a project, we'd identify a few of the lower-level ones, such as like the amount of steps to get to a product. The um, the solution that we put out would then alleviate that problem. We'd see the um, amount of steps needed to reduce, which would then directly impact the higher revenue number. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think we, round the board table, revenue gets the most traction. Sure. It's very difficult yeah. when you're talking to the decision maker to talk to them about the minutiae of the thing. They want to know we've spent X thousand pounds with space between and our return is XXX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine pounds. that. Yeah. And and but so but on, on the lower level, and like I say, we work a lot with internal designers and internal digital marketing teams, it's figuring out from their point of view what their key metrics are and how all of them combined can contribute to you know higher revenues. I mean, one of the things that annoys me so much is having to constantly input my address data and whenever <laughs> I go shopping online. And, and that's why you end up using PayPal a lot of the time. I think yeah. that's the thing, because it's all then automatically done. You know, do, you have, do you have that experience, James? Yeah, I mean, it's, you get the Google sort of autofill, don't you? If you signed into Chrome, that, yeah. can, that can help yeah, I use speed that, up yeah. the process. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it is annoying, obviously, if you're... Christmas, Christmas time is obviously the worst, isn't it? Uh, you're you're buying your fifteenth present and it's you're <laughs> typing it all out again, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. The browsers are getting much better. Mm. I mean, uh, the browsers are much smarter now, and I think they even remember your credit card details these days. So you can they buy do. something by just putting your yeah. house yeah. number yeah. and then your first number of your credit card. It, it sort of works, doesn't it? But I, I don't know whether it's just the way I've entered it. But quite often the fields get populated in just not quite the right place. Mm. Yeah, and, or and with then, the wrong data. With the wrong yeah. data, and then yeah. you hope that the the person who's develop the form hasn't put just too stringent checking and you and then you go back and loads of it's been erased and stuff yeah. it's happening less but that that you know it's a real barrier isn't it when that sort of stuff happens so uh tell us what your favorite websites are then what, what would you hold other than the ones you've developed obviously yeah that's yeah. a bit of a cop out isn't it yeah <laughs> what would you what i would got you one hold? i, I um, maybe I could we could tweet the link after um, yeah. if I do that. But I think it's called IP Viking. Okay. Uh, and this website is a real time visualization of all of the denial of service attacks happening in the world in real time. IP Viking. IP okay. Viking. I think it's called. Yeah. They're, right. they're, they're a company that put the their equipment in data centers all around the world. Right. Okay. And what the equipment shows is is in real time the attacks across the globe. So you'll see huge packets of attack flying over the globe from China to the States, for example. And if you ever find that a company uh, has tweeted that they're experiencing a denial-of-service attack, Reddit or something, you can go on the website and you can see in real time them being attacked. Uh, it's a really technically a very fantastic website and it looks amazing as well. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of the attack is to overwhelm the website? that the Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what about security? Do you advise on security? Or do you, have you got other contractors you work with that do that? We, we we tend to stay away from it because it's not our area of expertise. And yeah. we're very conscious that we don't want to provide um, information or any kind of um, yeah wrong information that might negatively impact a client. But there are, you know, we are aware of um, contractors in the space, so we do quite often re uh, recommend people. 
Yeah. Okay. James. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So, so, does that, is there a diff- main difference depending on the client? Uh, do some of them press more for the the actual look of it, um, whereas others might be based on the the usability of the website? Is that ever a question that arises? Yeah, it's, it's quite quite often. Um, entirely, there's some clients we've worked with who have like a very finely tuned aesthetic taste, and they are. Uh, generally quite protective of their brand and the way they you would portray their brand and so they have a particular way of like laying out certain information or things like that and whereas other clients are much more focused on you know how does this work for the user and not so much about you know how am I portraying my brand at this moment because for example the user's already in the funnel you've already got their attention it's more of a case of you just uh, laying on that extra level of um, security yeah so they know yeah. yeah I mean and how important do you think it is for particularly e-commerce companies, to have a, a nice look to the website? I think uh, it needs to always look nice, It needs to always, but it needs to focus on the actual products. Essentially, at the end of the day, that's, that's what... That's what you're buying. Selling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I can uh, I'd never recommend a website or company, you know, adds extra embellishment at the detriment of the products. It yeah. always needs to be, that's the focus, and that's the thing. And then maybe you can pull... A little bit of that back when a user's already in the funnel, they're already registered to purchase, and it's kind of just getting through the informational steps because at that point you don't want to overlay too much information. Well, guys, that's really thank you so much for joining us. Where can people get <coughs> more information about your company? Um, www.spacebetween.co.uk. Great, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Well, James, it is now time for this. So we are now at the part of the show where we have our unboxing. Uh, neither James nor I know, or any of the studio guests. Hang on, James, that's your microphone. Sorry about Hold that. a second. Um, none, neither James or nor I, or any of the studio guests know what's in the box. Harry is periscoping it now live, and it is at Tech Talk Show UK on Twitter. And let's see what's in the box. James is laughing, so. I wonder I what... Do, I do like the look of this. It's uh, Let's lose the box, James, yes. shall we? We'll see Steve Just, again. Yeah, that's it's it. An espresso on the go. Expre- the okay, box, so, so they've not exactly spent out on the packaging, no, have they? Let's be honest. It's what's the, on the inside that counts. Okay, um, is it so, really? Yeah, is that true? That's what I've been told. Oh, yeah, that's what uh, your mum says. <laughs> a portable espresso machine. Right. Compatible ground coffee only. Okay, uh, so let's pass it round to each yeah, guest. What do you think of the packaging? Yusuf, what do you think? Um, I think it's kind of great, actually. It sort of like tells you exactly what the product is, and I really like nifty little gadgets. So yeah, yeah, okay. Interested to see what's in the box, Andrew. Yeah, well, it's in a in a in a very nice brand box with with one label on it. But yeah, yeah. it's great. Says it. functional. It's, uh, it says exactly what it's doing. It's even got instructions on the side. They so. certainly haven't spent out on packaging, so let's hope it's been spent on the product itself. It looks like good recyclable stuff to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John and Marcus, what do you think? I think it looks pretty good. I quite like these plain okay. brown yeah. packages. Yeah, I, think yeah. it, I think it fits with the coffee drinker okay. mentality maybe okay. a little bit. Dive in then. Open it up and let's have a look inside. So it's a, uh, a standalone ground coffee maker. And some producer Danny. Oh, look at that. Is he... <laughs> I can see what you've done on your lunch hour, Danny. This week, yeah. I think. 
So the guys have opened the box yeah. and uh, we have the instructions, which just throw those away. We won't need those. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, yeah. dear. <laughs> Can I not have the coffee? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we won't bother with any instructions. Uh, nobody oh, yeah. reads them anyway. Would you read the instructions? Of course I would. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course I would. So it looks a bit like um, well, a rather large microphone. Yeah. Quite nondescript. Really. Yeah, so it's black. Um, there's various pieces to it. So the top is being unscrewed as we speak. I'm just going to take it apart. Yeah, just take it to a pieces. Like a bit like a thermos flask? Is it does look cup? a bit like... Is, is that the cup? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, pass very, the instructions. Like don't look at the instructions. Yeah. <laughs> no, pass them around to James. James will tell us. Go on, James. You have, have a look. look. At, yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, it's a mobile espresso we got, masking. We've got two cups, three cups. Oh, hang on. Um, it's like one of those Russian dolls where you take one bit out and you get... It's got a sort of metal disc in it. It's um, okay. all, all the bits. bits uh, bit there, right. There, are there any English instructions over there? I think I've got the... Yeah. Your Mandarin's not up to scratch then. <laughs> no, then this is German. Just reading some of the stuff here. It's semi, yeah. semi-automatic piston, it says. Really? That's it's nice. a little worrying, isn't it? I'm not sure yeah. I want one of those in the coffee. Let's... It looks kind of like, has anybody ever used the AeroPress product before? No. AeroPress? No. It's like a, no. a portable right. plunger thing. James, hit us. So, Come yeah, on. it's uh, intended for personal use, not suitable for commercial, professional, collective... Yeah, so Starbucks, it's not going to see it in a Starbucks (laughs) anytime soon. On your bike at a festival or something. Okay. Um, So, yeah, it's... uh, It's basically, you just, you you take one lid off and there's something else underneath. Russian doll doesn't get there. It's broken into... Six pieces now? Yeah, so we've got, we should have an espresso cup, which Mm -hmm. I think John identified. There. Pass that round. Oh, pass the espresso cup round, we'll start with that. Thank you. So here's the espresso cup. We've got an outlet head, which should have a spout in it. That, uh, that is the filter, I think you've got there. Okay. Yeah, yep, that so that is yeah. the, yeah, that's the spout. So that the filter goes into that, I think. Filter. Does that fit in there? We've got the main body, which has the mini presso written on it, which you've got there, Andrew. Yeah. Now we've got a water tank, which I think is just there. Ah, here we go. We've got the pieces ready now. So instructions. So we have to, um, yeah, take it apart, basically. Which we've done. Um, So we didn't need instructions (laughs) after all. We're We're way ahead. (laughs) Still have a bad feeling about this. I do too. Uh, Just saying for the record. And I'm not going to drink it, I'm afraid. (laughs) James, that's what James is here for. (laughs) The guinea pig. Yeah, definitely. Um, So we've unclipped the cup. Yeah, we've unscrewed the outlet head, which is the bit. We're way ahead of you, James. Remove the filter basket. Yep. Well, we put it um, back in now, though. Yeah, so I think we need to take that out again. Oh, okay. Sorry, we were ahead of ourselves. Uh, is there a little scoop there as well? Yeah, we've yeah, got yes. that. Yeah. So fill the scoop with ground coffee. Here we go. Uh, would you like to be honest? This, this is so going to end up in my lap. <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I pushed it away. Okay. So, oh, um, we've got a spoon in there. Throw that away. And then we're going to put the filter basket on top of the scoop. Right. And... We're going Filter to basket on top of the scoop. And then we're going to put it on top of the main body. Right, okay, you're going to have to do that, James, because you've got the okay. directions in front of you. Yes. So go on. Right, so we have a huge measuring cup full of ground coffee. And um, we are now going to... Going to put the filter on top of the... Yeah, I think that's... Uh, yeah, that's the plan. Okay. Like that. 
or the other way around? Uh, yeah, it might be the other way around. Upside down. So you put the coffee into the filter. Yeah, so turn it upside down. In a yeah. delicate operation. This is go. where it all it's goes like wrong, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> I've moved it nearer grey, so I'm yeah, fine. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Does that look good? Yeah. yeah. Are we ah. happy with that? Yeah, okay. And then do we take this, this cup off the top? You then, uh, yes, take that off. Yeah. And now we screw the outlet there head onto the main body, which was that this? the cup. Which one of these was it? Uh, oh, James. That one. That one. Grace, help him out. I think he hasn't got a clue there. <laughs> that, that needs screwing on that. Oh, that's making sense now. So yeah. that's squeezing all the coffee okay. up. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, this could be the first time we've ever got something right. <laughs> we now need to add the boiling water into that's the That's because we've got tank. four engineers here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Four engineers, even Andy. Is he? A <laughs> qualified yeah, engineer? Yeah. 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 Not in coffee, I might add. <laughs> no. There's a barista's job with your name on it. <laughs> so I'm just going to add some boiling water. Careful. careful. Health yeah. and safety, James. Yeah. Be careful. Is that actually boiling? Yes. Put your finger in it. Check. I'll just double check <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah, that. Have you put enough boiling. water in? I believe so. Do you? Careful. No, no I'm guessing. Okay, so that goes boiling. on the bottom. Do we do that? Water. No. Do we think? No. On there. Yes. yes. Uh, so add the boiling water to the water tank. Uh, place the water tank on level and stable surface. Yeah. Surface, obviously health and safety. Um, screw tightly the main body onto the water tank until the stop. Avoid burning yourself. Yeah. Okay, I think, I think right. we're good. Right. We're almost, we're almost so there. we're now fully loaded, James. Yes, so now say. we have to... Um, so there's a, a piston in the middle. Yeah. We have to unlock the piston from its travel position by rotating it to the left. It should pop out, yeah. And now we um, start pumping that piston. Grace? Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, I'll <laughs> uh, pass it round. I'll do it, I'll do it. Pass it round. James will pass it round. Screwed it all together properly. So there's a nozzle. Right, hold on. Probably give him the cup as well. So do I pump now or do I wait? Wait a second. I nearly pumped, James. I nearly pumped. So upside down. Um, it must come out there because it's got a hole. Yes. And then pump. Yeah. So the first six strokes will fill the filter basket of water. Continue pumping until no more coffee comes out. Hang on. Is that your first bit of coffee? Yeah. Here we go. Does, mm. it, look, does it look nice, Steve? looks tasty. Is it something you'd, uh, you'd have in the morning? So I'm pumping the, uh, the thing on the side of the uh, apparatus the torpedo, and coffee is coming out of the bottom. I'm still pumping. It looks a bit like you're milking a cow, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Grace, you are all right to drink this, aren't you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll give um, the honour yeah, to Yeah, we'll pass it around now. <laughs> I think James is going to take one for the team uh, here, James. I'm, I'm allergic to coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have a lovely, fresh cup of coffee filtered coffee james thanks steve so if i drink some will you drink i will some? i will is that okay yeah if you go first a bit like yeah. the shots on the other <laughs> friday night <laughs> hopefully it won't end the same way uh, yeah badly <laughs> i can't concentrate now nice yeah mm. is it good yeah the water could have been hotter producer danny apologies but actually that's okay 
That's all right. Yeah. Isn't Does it? anyone else want to try some? Yeah, I can. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Well done, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it smells. It smells like smells, coffee. Yeah, smells yeah. like coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> smell the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, the coffee's going the rounds. It's it's a little bit cold, but yeah. there's actually no bits in it or anything. So, so we've, no, that's pretty. It's really so nice. Yeah. We've got some coffee that producer Danny's just passed to me. Get in the mood coffee. Hectic hamster. Ding, ding, um, ding, this come ding, with ding. the product, Danny. No, so this came. Separately. Is that your own personal supply of coffee? Yeah, he's always drinking <laughs> that. Da- what Danny's getting the mood coffee? It does say for best results, use fresh roasted coffee beans and filtered water. So obviously, the better quality of coffee beans, the better we're going to get. How was the coffee, um, guys? It was, <laughs> it was cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. Yeah, we'll have hotter water next time. Okay, um, that's our big mistake. It's all gone. So, you know. It's all gone. Yeah. No bits. No, no, no bits. Yeah. Okay. One bit we may have missed was, is to preheat all the parts of the, ah, of the mini presso. That's why. By running it um, under hot water. Okay. So that would have okay. So that's, that's just taking the edge off it for me because uh, I was thinking that'd be great. You could stick it in a backpack or something. Yeah. And have a nice coffee at the top of the But then you still got to have hot water. Yeah. But that, no. that doesn't. If doesn't you're going to use it at home, then you might as well get yeah. a, a So, so yeah, maybe a thermos of hot water. <laughs> yeah. So let's have a little bit. How much would you pay for that, Grace? What do you think? Um, $69.99. Wow. That much? Andrew. Yeah, of course, I, I, with my engineer's hat on, I'm thinking there's an awful lot of injection molded stuff yes, in there. Yes, there's That's a lot there, isn't there? Yeah, me too. I, 69 quid? No, I don't think so. 40, 50, but I'm guessing it's more like Grace's figure. Okay, so we go 50, 69. Uh, John? I know I know a similar product, so I'm going to go uh, 18 pounds. 18 pounds? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Marcus? I'll take the up one by then and go for 70. 70, yeah. okay. <laughs> All right, so. 71. Yeah, there's no, there's no prize for getting it right, I'm afraid. <laughs> James. 40 quid? 40 quid. So yeah. we've got 40, 69, 50, 50 18 quid. <laughs> Maybe from a BP garage or something. Marcus has gone the upper end at 70. Yeah. I'm going to go for £34.95, which I think is a nice price point. So, producer Danny's now going to come on the mic. Come on, Danny. Afternoon. Uh, afternoon. Are you going to give us any product details, or are you just going to go straight into the price? No, it, uh, it holds seven grams of coffee, water capacity of 70 milliliters, eight bar pressure. We all know what that means, right? Yeah. Uh, Built-in espresso cup and scoop. And it does what it says on the tin. It gives you an espresso. So this one's the mini espresso, portable espresso machine. Who's it made by? By Wakako. Okay, that's easy for you to say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the original price for this was one hundred and twenty-four pounds. One hundred and twenty-four pounds. Yeah. No way. There was a slight deduction. Okay. So we actually paid fifty-five pounds. Fifty-five on the pounds. So really good guesses. The eighteen pounds one. I wish I knew where you were shopping. Yeah, because <laughs> we joined you at that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So fifty-five pounds. So the next question I've got for you. Uh, so we'll start with Grace. Would you uh, back in the box or does it rock? Ah, it rocks for me because I love gadgets. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it rocks for me. Rocks? Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a back in the box guy today. Too much. <laughs> yeah. Cost too much. I think so, yeah. Okay, back in the box. Yeah, back in the box. Back yeah. in the box. Oh, James, so we got two all at the oh. moment. Oh. <laughs> this is a tough one. Yeah. Um, obviously, with that price deduction, I'd say it rocks. It rocks. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to say 
because it's £55 back in the box. So we are a hung group, three all. (laughs) So that's it. It's neither, it's on the edge of the box, I think we could say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. It was a win. I think it was a win, really. Good, a good, good product. Yeah. Just maybe a tad too expensive because yeah. I don't need an espresso that much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a bit of form on this. We, we uh, <clears throat> as a family, we go up walking, um, and uh, my brother-in-law brought something like that one year, and I thought, what a fantastic idea, and I couldn't find one. So <laughs> actually, I might well stick uh, around. Yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's yours for seventy yeah. pounds. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. It doesn't rock anymore. <laughs> So we're going to move on. Andrew McKenzie's here. And Andrew, you're a partner at IP firm Cleveland, Scott and York. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for joining us. And obviously, it's very, very important for people to protect their inventions and and other things. How hard is it to do that in the field of software or hardware development? It it, um, really depends what you're doing. I mean, I I was listening to... uh, to, uh, to, to Marcus and John talking just now, and, and w- one of the best ways to protect the sort of things we're going to hear about today is is with patents because they they protect um, the idea behind things rather than the actual way that you you implement it. So uh, there's copyright, which helps people with exact copies of what they're doing. Um, w- one of the problems with patent is that the laws in most countries explicitly say computer programs are not inventions. For, for the purposes of patents. Uh, and um, over the years, the courts have, have wrestled with exactly what that means. Because increasingly, most of the clever stuff is happening in software. You go and buy a yeah. washing machine, you don't have an electromechanical controller anymore. You have a bit of software and a, and a microcontroller and some relays. Yeah. And, and the product development cycle is usually an upgrade in the software. The hard, yeah. hardware might be the same. Um, so clearly, it doesn't make sense not to let um, innovative companies protect that stuff. So... Um, the way the courts have sort of dealt with that is to say if you've got software that produces some sort of technical effect, so they're not looking at something that produces a pretty pattern or whatever, um, but if you've got something clever under the skin that maybe makes it work quicker or uses less memory or saves power or whatever, um, then that's protectable using patents. Um, And just listening to the guys earlier, when you're talking about your metrics and sort of linking revenue with with some of the the sort of way people are are going through the site and how they're they're, um, hanging around on things, um, then, um, you know, that sort of thing typically would be patentable. Um, when because you're talk- the, cause there's an outcome improvement. Yeah, there's a, well, there's a sort of technical bit. So yeah. you're, you're, you're chewing the data a bit, you're measuring things, you're, you're bringing maybe a few bits of data in and producing a, 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 a different output. You're, you're processing some, some real data. Um, when you're talking about sort of colours on the website mm-hmm. and, and identifying different bits of the website, that's really tricky right, okay. uh, to protect. So, so it sort of depends. Um, most people who are doing real sort of... Um, product development and producing something good commercially, there's usually something in there that you can identify uh, that, that would be protectable. And it's the functionality, not the coding behind the functionality y- yeah. or the process management or the... Well, it, it, it can be all of those things. Um, right. um, the, 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 the IP law system sort of puts things in pigeonholes. So yeah. when you're looking at a bit of software, often you've got the visual stuff which uh, will sometimes be copyright, will sometimes be design, which 
uh, and that design bit typically comes out of out of things like protecting cutlery and, and crockery and textile patterns and so on. But you can also use it for the visual stuff on the screen. Um, and then when you're looking at the nuts and bolts of how it works, then you're really looking at patent, and it's the patent pigeonhole. Um, and, and the patent bit is usually best because, of course, the visuals, they're important, but it's quite easy to design around those. So I've got an invention, and I'm going to say to you, it's a really fast-moving environment like um, Grace's app world yeah. that she works in. Yeah. Apps are changing. They have a life of a few months, yeah. really, maybe yeah. six months. Yeah. Three months. <coughs> so... It's going to be finished before the pattern has actually got through the process. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I think if you've got something that fast moving, uh, so about the quickest you can get a patent through actually is, is in the UK, and that's about nine months. Um, and I suppose it depends how much follow-on copying you're going to have. Yes, you might be the innovator, but then you might have a tail end of two or three years of copiers. You might get something. Um, design and uh, uh, trademark protection is much, much quicker. That can be really quick, and that certainly would be in the lifetime of, of, of a typical app. Um, but, but I guess it also depends what you want to do with the IP rights. If if you're um, wanting maybe to build up value in the business to exit, yes. then you probably do want to, want to get some of that stuff in the in the in the business and, and actually register some things. If you're going to want to stop competition, then probably in a very fast-moving field like apps. It's, there's not much value because the whole thing will have moved on by the time yeah. you've actually got the rights you can assert. So we've got, uh, we've obviously got the the copyright route or the yeah. patent route first of all, yeah. which is I've I've designed something, I've got something, I want to protect it. That lasts for a number of years, doesn't it? The copy, yeah. So, uh, the so co copyright is is a few decades. Yeah. Um, so that's that's pretty good, but that is. As the name suggests, it's, it's protection against someone copying. So if you've got an app and somebody says, I like the way that works, I'll code it from scratch myself. But it does exactly the same thing. There is no copyright infringement. Okay. Um, so the second thing you're looking at is actually intellectual property protection. Yeah. And that can yeah. be trademark or it can be... Re registered design, so registered visual stuff. Okay. Tra trademark is the name of the thing. Um uh, patent is the way it works, and copyright is is the artistic input typically. Okay. Um, uh, but it also covers the the, the code itself. Um, what well, one aspect of copyright law is is literary copyright, originally designed for copying books, but that's been applied to, to software. software code okay. as a as a literary work. And with copyright, do we have to register? No. So you no. provided you say this is mine. And you log it somehow. How would you advise? Yeah, the, the, the important thing there is is to log it exactly to keep an audit trail of what you're doing. Um, there, there's a few tests around copyright, um, but one of the main ones is is a test of whether the, your your work is original. And the way that's tested is to look at how you built it up from scratch. So if if you just sort of stood on somebody else's shoulders very thoroughly and put a tiny bit of extra development work into it, then really it's that other person's work. It's not original. Um, uh, and so you need to show that you've been working at it, different versions of the app, uh, keep all of those dated. Um, uh, and, and just um, uh, what, one other thing, uh, I think most of the people in this room I was asking earlier are doing the development themselves. But yeah. copyright, because it comes out of uh, a sort of artistic background and, and sculptures and artists and so on, is, is quite unusual in that if you commission someone to write the code, um, the person you commission is going to own the copyright unless you contract with them otherwise right. so it's very important to uh, uh, on the copyright side to make sure that you uh, get the rights across to your business if you're not writing the stuff if you're not the author so how you contract software developers to your 
company and yeah. I, I'm looking at Grace, if you've got someone that codes for you or does app development work for you, the most important thing is to make it very clear where the IP, yeah. if you contract yeah. somebody, the IP yeah. stays with the, the yeah. company and not to the yeah. developer. Yeah, in, yeah. In, in theory there should be a proper contract and ideally there would be, but often in this sort of environment that's hard to achieve. But if yeah. at least when you're setting up the relationship, emails and so on, you, you get in there somewhere that, yes, we're going to own the code, we're going to own all the IP rights or whatever, mm. then yeah. um, you know that, that puts you in a good position to sort it out later. I think most um, most clients are very, very savvy now, and most of them will explicitly tell you, as an app developer, I, Grace, I want to keep my copyright. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's physically within your contract. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Andrew, you're saying it could be quite a time-consuming, lengthy process. Is it quite expensive as well? For, is it something that anyone could really afford to do? Uh, uh, the latter, really. I mean, mm. you certainly can spend a lot of money, yeah. um, uh, and, and people do, but... But um, really, uh, so the most expensive right, but really the strongest, is, is patent. Yeah. Um, registered designs and trademarks are a few hundred pounds. Patents, typically a few thousand. But you need to multiply those by each territory. And that's where people sometimes go wrong. They'll think, right, well, I'm selling worldwide, so I need to file everywhere that's got you know, the law that will allow me to. And, and in practice, certainly in this field, if, if you've got protection in Europe and US, that's probably enough of the market that you're not going to face mm -hmm. much competition. Right. So you might only do two filings. Um, th there's a system that allows you to cover all of the EU plus, plus some extra ones, uh, which will be unaffected by Brexit, fortunately. Um, so uh, it's really about where you choose to file. So uh, for software, you typically choose most of the, the markets where you're going to sell it. Um, if you've got a server element, that's trickier um, because you still really need some rights where the servers are going to be based, and of course they can be based in most places. So that's a bit of a problem. You really want to craft your uh, protection so that it protects the client end of things, and then get it where it's going to be used and sold. And, and is it a similar process to apply for a patent in the UK as it is in the US, or is there different yeah. um, legislation to, to there, fill in? There's different law for each country, but but it is getting increasingly harmonised. Uh, mm. I've been doing this for sort of nearly 30 years, and there was a time when you still had to go to various embassies to get you know fancy ribbons and stamps <laughs> and all this sort of nonsense. Yeah. That still happens a little bit, particularly in the Middle East, but um, most of that's gone, and most of the rules... There, there's a, th a part of the UN called the World Intellectual Property Organization, and that's really driving harmonization. It's pushing all the countries to have similar standards so that, uh, in practice, you, you can do one filing in, let's say, the UK, and then with minimal changes, some translations, of course, if, if you've yeah. got a non-English country, but minimal other changes, you can pretty much roll that out uh, in, into all the other territories. So where would you advise people to go in the first instance for advice? So they're thinking about their business and how to protect it. Yeah. Where would you suggest well, well, people go? Most, most firms like, like mine will uh, offer a bit of free advice. Uh, you know, very happy to spend a few minutes on the phone um, or if you're prepared to come in, you know, sort of face-to-face, -face, certainly start there. there there's a couple of um, uh, institutes in the UK, the Chartered Institute of Patent Attorneys and the Chartered Institute of Trademark Attorneys, who similarly will point you in the direction of somebody that can can help you okay. um, and definitely worth getting some advice there's a lot of sure. pit, pitfalls yeah, if you don't get it wrong yeah. Andrew thank you for that I think it's really good advice and really important for companies to protect their ideas mm. so no, yeah. thank you for joining us yeah, um, we're now going to move on to Grace Grace uh, your company is QBID yes um, <laughs> we talked about it earlier now tell us the range of things you do within your company okay. and then we'll talk a, a bit a little bit about the specifics of them Okay, um, 
I'll probably best to start so you can understand what I'm doing um, with how Cuba got started. Yeah, great. Um, I used to work in, in banking yeah. and then I left that and I had an idea for um, a dating site that worked like a stock exchange. Okay. So, so this was like um, in 2009. Okay. Um, I launched a site, a dating site called Cub um, Cupid. Cupid. Okay. And so the, um, the idea behind it, bidding for dates. And um, I was the sole developer for that. Um, I bootstrapped that. Um, I sort of, um, sort of worked, worked from home, worked in my bedroom. Sort of did all the design work, support work for that, and sort of launched it with like an intern. And the site actually did quite well. Okay. Um, I sort of came finalist in TechCrunch startup competitions. I finished, I think, in the top three in Microsoft BizPark at the time. Um, got front page news. Oh, fantastic. Yes, yeah. it was really, it was yeah, really, really yeah. good. And, you know, so I started talking to like a lot of bigger companies, actually. It was sort of like, it was like one to watch. And, but I think at the time I sort of misunderstood, like, I think, or maybe um, how much funding it would take to actually market a dating site. Yeah. Because obviously it was a stock exchange, so I needed a lot of people in there. So, um, unfortunately, after doing well for a while, the site sort of like ran out of steam. Yeah. And then I sort of closed it down. So, um, it was pretty dark times, you know, sort of like, you know, what to do at the moment. Sure. And then um, I got approached by um, a, another startup, actually. And he said, hey, um, we want to do a mobile game. Right. Um, can you do this mobile game for us? And I was like, mm, yes, I can. <laughs> okay. so, um, I so quickly, um, you know, got the speed on how to um, develop um, games for mobile. And so we launched um, this game. You know, I did the Android version of um, a game called um, Date One Direction. And that also was like a big hit. It's like um, the number one unofficial, I have to say that, <laughs> yeah. um, Date One Direction game. Um, it's really popular with sort of like um, teenage girls. Yeah, you know, and radio presenters, and radio. Presenters. And yes, <laughs> yeah, I heard you guys have been playing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, we so. have. Yeah, we're going to talk about. Yeah, that so it's had like you know over sort of like it's, it's soon going to probably hit like two million downloads, and for a game that was launched I think ages ago, um, I think maybe two thousand, I can't remember now, but a while ago, it's not a new game, but it's done really quite well for himself, and then that's just how I started, and I was up and away. So on the back of that, I got um, other projects. You know, people approaching me um, to do apps. I did a um, baking app, and most recently, um, I'm doing the mobile app for Tossed um, Tossed Salads. Yep, they're like a high street um, restaurant chain, sort of similar to um, Pret or Eat. They're really popular, and they're really fast growing. And I was asked um, by the founder to do um, the Android and iOS app, and that's going to be coming out soon. So, yeah, it's been really, really interesting, actually. And um, just to see all that I've achieved um, as a solo developer, just yeah. like a one-man band company, actually. So alongside that, actually, we've been working a lot on projects and I'm going to be um, launching um, a site as well. Um, okay, we'll come on to that because yeah. I know it's a uh, social networking type site. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I've got one date, one di direction <laughs> open, funny enough. I've been trying to date Harry James for a little while. Same. We've, we've got we've, similar tastes. Have we got, so, have yeah. we really? Uh, we've got the same tastes yeah. in one day. Yeah. You can tell it's an old game because there's actually five of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Tell um, you how old it is. Yeah. Shows I think there's just two left now. Is it? I don't think there's any left. Oh, it's true. It's true. I don't yeah, know. It's abandoned, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, it's a, it's quite a, yeah it's quite yeah. addictive actually yeah, I have to say so for anyone that hasn't played it it's 
sort of mini games. Which is probably yes. and quite a few middle-aged men have. <laughs> yes. actually. Yeah. You can show them at the pub at the weekend. Yeah, too. I'm going to show them actually this <laughs> afternoon, yeah. funny enough. But yeah, you, you play mini games. So at the moment, I'm at the I'm dating Harry, but okay. we're not official. Oh dear. But, um, so we're going on dates. Yeah. Are you? Um, and he's dumped of, me. Oh, oh he <laughs> didn't. Sorry, no, sorry, he dumped me. Sorry, Taylor. So, yeah. Um, the sort of dating. There's like mini games. So you go for a coffee and yeah. it's like remembering colours and. Uh, like memory game, basically re- repeating back the order. Yeah, it's um, a range of mini games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is actually. Yeah, it's quite platforming. It's quite good, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah it takes you into various different games. Exactly. There's one about hugs and kisses and something yeah. else. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You've got to try and time your kisses and everything. And, yeah. yeah. And the app actually like um has some quite insulting remarks if you get it wrong. Yeah. Does it? <laughs> you get dumped by text. Are you saying? Yes, you do. Yeah. you do. Um, if Classic you. Classic Harry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't. If you don't sort of like play with your um, virtual boyfriend enough, you will get a text dumping you for not being a good enough um, sort of like girlfriend. And James. it's actually a bit heartbreaking. <laughs> That's happened to you a not few times. Not for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and oh it, my prob- God. it might not be the last, mate. You yeah. never know, do you? <laughs> but yeah, it's... Um, it Follow that one, James. <laughs> it encourages you to keep coming back, Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, no. So, so is it... Um, is the... Um, is the skill in creating a good app having lots of different levels and games within games, do you think? Um, for me, I think kind of games that I love to play and I sort of watch people playing are like simple games. Yeah. You know, because I think like games you can play with one hand when you're hanging off a rail on a tube. The other kinds I really think engages people. I think that's why Candy Crush is still so popular. Like almost yeah. like five years after it's come out because the simple games, I think they, um, they're the ones that... You want a game that can appeal to the broadest range of the population. Yeah. And I think simple games do that best. So simple games or mini games, I think, okay. work really well. So my favourite game, I've got a couple. Yeah. I mm-hmm. do, te- do you do 10 by 10, James? Uh, no. Yeah, do you? Yeah, that's I a really good game. It's I think simple. I, I think immediately you say 10 by 10, I think I know the premise because there are loads of games, similar apps to that yeah. on, the, on the App Store. Yeah, yeah. so simple game, yeah. really easy to use, very simple, which yeah. is obviously right for um, me, yeah. mate, <laughs> yeah. as you say. The, um, how do you get on with the stick cricket one? I'm addicted to uh, stick yeah. cricket, <laughs> which I love stick <laughs> cricket. Andrew, Andrew, do you, Andy, do you go? No, but uh, I've got obviously got some things to try out. Yeah, we'll try. We'll get the stick. We'll get the <laughs> we'll stick. give you a list. We'll, yeah, yeah, we'll get the stick cricket. What about John and Marcus? What 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 games would you like? Do you play? I've never, I've never. Pl- I think I played Flappy Bird. When right. That was okay. Out, when that but was out. nothing Just out of curiosity, else. Curiosity, but day to day. I was a big fan of Pokemon Go for a little bit. Right. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Couldn't get enough of it for about two weeks, and then, and then dumped it. That's it. Myself, bit my like Harry Styles for me, really. <laughs> <laughs> he, apparently, he couldn't get enough of me for a week or two, and now he's just dumped me. Steve, I can tell us like a soul point. Like, don't blame me. I'm just a developer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Move on from it. Hey, let it go, James. <laughs> they were asking for cheat codes earlier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Videos on you the guys line. really got into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, obviously, the the toss salad yeah. app is completely different. Yeah. What what's um, unusual about that, and what have you had to develop around that particular area? Okay, I think like um to sort of keep myself like you know fed and clothed, I've had to <laughs> sort of take on like even though I love games, I've had to take on like other outside um, clients, and yep. so Tusk came along and. It's what I call like a serious app. It's a shopping app um, yep. where you sort of like um you can order food. And it also tells you where the nearest um, toss stores are. But I think like going forward, um, because I'm always, whenever I'm, I'm doing an app for a client, I'm always sort of thinking about in gaming terms, like almost I hate using the word gamification, but how can you engage oh, people with your app 
absolutely and game gamification is yeah. you see it across so many different yeah i mean it's it's, a, it's everyone is trying to do that now and i think the word was overused but for tossed i think like um, an obvious next step would be um to start doing really interesting things up with geolocation yeah so when you're like near a tossed um store it can notify you or even better maybe if you're near a place with other fast food stores Maybe you can get like a helpful reminder from the app saying, <laughs> you know, where are you right now? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <Eat healthy. laughs> Maybe you can stop toy you when you work into a Burger King. Like, don't you want a salad instead? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah no. That would be interesting. It is. And also, uh, play, uh, with having different recipes, the different calorie count and different, you know, good, yeah. different sort of uh, yeah. health health content of the actual salad there must be a bit of play around that to actually create the lowest calorie i'm loving those ideas and definitely yeah. definitely yeah. even turn to, into like a competition where you can yep. sort of count your calories so yeah. i think yeah bringing games into serious apps i think it's um it's always a good move and definitely something i always try and tell my clients that are working with me james um is there much difference if you're creating an app for ios versus an app for android what's um, the main difference like from a developer's point of view okay um, for me, I find the Android ecosystem more intuitive for a developer. I think iOS, I think, um, the way I always say it is like, iOS, things that should be simple to do are incredibly hard, and things that should be hard to do are incredibly easy. And so um, some parts of the development is not as smooth, but for Android, I think, um, I prefer working on that platform because I feel like they're always working with developers to make the whole development process as simple as possible. Just for example, um, for an iOS app, you've still got that like two-week wait for approval. But on Google, you can have a turnaround time of almost two hours for approval. Wow. So you can you can be constantly be iterating your um, your app and getting and, and get on the app store. Yeah. But on iOS, if you release an app and then find out, oh shit, um, this major bug that um, affects maybe 30% of users, I'm sorry. Yeah. You're going to have to wait until the next Another approval cycle weeks, comes yeah. through. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard the same thing from other people I've dealt with. You know, they're, they're maybe sitting on their hands for a couple of weeks waiting Why? for it to appear in the App Store. Yeah, and also that it's, it's a very closed market, the App Store, isn't it? Um, yes, it is, definitely. So yeah. I think... Um, um, Apple is closed, Android is open, yeah. you know, so I think, and that's why we as developers prefer it because you can keep on playing with the App Store. And I think now most people are le releasing first on the um, Android Store yeah. to test the app and yeah, see what's going it Exactly. Yeah, and sure. then releasing it for iOS. Yeah. John? Yeah, we, we I mean, we, we do some work with some apps. We found it that the times are changing a little bit and there are bits of technology out there that allow you to write once, run everywhere. So we, we've had success with, with a piece of technology called React Native, which is built by Facebook, and also um, PhoneGap and Ionic, which are other bits of technology that allow you to write it in one place. And, you know, gosh, even the Windows Store is available. Not that anybody uses it. But right. we write it in one place and, and we publish it everywhere. Grace, are you um, Yeah, I am familiar with those frameworks, but I think, like, um, it depends. Sometimes... Um, for an app, it's okay to use these frame, um, frameworks because you don't really see like a difference. But if you're doing anything like games or anything really complicated where you want to go really low level down in the app, even though I know these frameworks are getting um, quite sophisticated now, I, I would always say it's best to go native. Yeah. I would always say it's best to go native. And also, for an example, like something that's coming up now, like fintech and medtech, with those kind of things, I think you want to have total control um, about over your how your app is interacting with your phone. So, for example, fintech, you want to know um, when if the app is rooted, you know, 
And so when people root their phones, that means fo their phone is less secure. Right. So in those kind of cases, you'd want to know immediately um, they've installed the app, like, is this phone rooted or not? And then be able to notify the users, like, hey, this is a fintech app. You probably shouldn't be using it on a non-rooted phone. And I don't think um, that kind of low-level information is available to you if you use some of these frameworks. Sure. So it does, it does depend on what you're doing. Yeah. But sometimes it's the best way to go. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your latest work around the social networking thing. Tell us tell us what you've been developing there. Okay. Um, so um, at the moment, I'm sort of developing um, my own my own site, actually, alongside the other work I'm doing. And um, the site is called Good Kindred. And the idea behind it is um, it's I think I want to I'm really passionate about um, using sort of like online, um, you know, technology to facilitate offline relationships. Yeah. Because I sort of feel there's I a mean, lot that's where you started. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, sure, you're exactly yeah. right, Steve. So I'm sort of going back to my roots because this is a problem I've been wanting to solve for a very long time. And I don't think anyone has really cracked it yet. So this site will allow you to sort of like, um, you know, keep in contact with the people that you meet. So, for example, um, what happens to me a lot, I, I'm always out and about. I meet interesting people. We may exchange Facebook or Twitter. We might want to meet up, but we never ever meet up again because sure. everyone is always so busy. But this site will sort of like let you um, um, put up your calendar and times you're available and also things you're available in seeing. And then if you follow someone, you could sort of see that. And then you can just like, you know, connect with them if you're both free and then meet up. The idea just to facilitate, you know, like relationship between people. Cause mm -hmm. I think like no matter how much we connect online, I think is like building relationships offline that really um, makes true connections between people. And I think um, as the world advances more and more, more people leave home, you know, disperse all over the globe. I think it's quite imp important we do maintain that sort of like, you know, face to face relationships. Yeah. I think it does help. So if I met Steve in the pub, yeah. well, we, we, we hit it off. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could then let him know that I'm going to a One Direction gig yeah, next week. Exactly. And he also has that mutual interest. I know. We agreed to go together. I know. And then Steve can um, turn up with his uh, maybe sold underwear to try Harry for dumping him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's so pained <laughs> about it. Not, I don't want to give any ideas, Steve. But <laughs> it's happening now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But that, that is very true, yeah. is that you're actually facilitating people joining up and meeting yeah. whether it's socially or yeah. for dating or yeah. you know it can be yeah. could be if you worked in a huge office and there were you know exactly. half a dozen of you yeah. somebody knew actually yeah. we're going out for drinks tonight yeah. you know and you everybody could see who's free or could yes. see that's going yeah. on so it's not just about dating is it it's about no, this is, this is not gonna social be networking uh, yeah. but joining up exactly. together yeah it's not going to be a dating site at all because i think when i uh, when i launched uh, my dating site like back in 2010, um, the feedback I got was like, we love the site so much, but I want to use it for not even dating. I want to use it just for like friendships, basically. Yeah. Like I'm new in town, Grace, and I want to just like meet um, like-minded people. So I, I had it in the back of my mind. So I think now it's just going to be a social network called Good Kindred. Yeah. And that's going to be launching, um, I think, by the end of this month okay. in Alpha. Yeah. So it'd be Alpha website based? Um, you know, it's going to be... Um, I'm going to be opening up to like a small section of people, inviting people to use it and then see sure. how that goes. And then um, hopefully by the end of the year, it should be like, you know, fully live functional and everyone should be using it. And first of all, will it be web based or is it going to be an app? Um, um, web based and Android and iOS app. All right. So yeah. Possible, yeah. Well, it sounds absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for talking to us. It's yeah. been brilliant. Thank and you. where could people get more information about Good Kindred? Will there be will it be goodkindred.com or Yeah, um the URL is www.goodkindred.com. 
Okay. And um, my company, if you just want to keep in contact with me and what I'm doing, is www.cubid, which is K-Y-U-B-I-D.com. Okay, thanks ever so much for joining us. James, great show. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, thank you, everybody, for coming along. Really enjoyed it, and it's great to have heard about everything that's going on. So thanks. I'm now off to have a binge on Silicon Valley, three series of Silicon Valley to watch. Can't wait. Enjoy the weekend. See you later.